listeners. Uh, welcome to this episode uh, of season three of our uh, podcast. As you know, the podcast season uh, is the third one. The overall podcast is called Talent Coven. And in this season, we are talking about different perspectives on assessments. Uh, I've got a very special guest with me today who I'm going to introduce you to in a minute. Uh, but before I go there, uh, let me just give you a brief about what we are going to have the conversation about today. So uh, today's conversation is about the practicalities of implementing assessments, right? And everything from planning uh, and, and looking at what all needs to be prepared for before we do assessments, during the assessments, and then after any kind of assessment program, what all do we keep in mind? Uh, and and we'll, we'll, we'll talk uh, some details about all of these aspects. Uh, to have the conversation with us today, I've got uh, Richard McConkey. Now, Richard uh, is is uh, more Indian than Irish, as as I prefer to uh, call him. And uh, you know, he's 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 a expert in assessments. Been doing it for over thirty five years now. Uh, spent a long time with SHL, actually a few decades really with SHL, uh, working in India, the Middle East, and in the UK, uh, and has a really good understanding of. Uh, what does it really take to implement assessments, which is what we're going to talk about. So welcome, Richard. Welcome to uh, this podcast. Thanks, Bema. Thank you. Okay. So let's, let's, let's launch straight in. And uh, so, uh, Richard, let me, let me start at the other end to, you know, really ask you, why do assessment programs really fail? You know, what, what typically happens, uh, you know, in organizations and when companies are implementing assessments, and at the end of the program, people say, yeah, this didn't go particularly well. So where are the typical failure points in your experience? Hmm. I, th I think one, perhaps the first thing is you need to have a good understanding of why you're doing a, a development or an assessment center in the first place. I think I have been a part of projects where perhaps someone in HR just thought that you know this is a this is a happening thing we should be doing this everybody else is doing it we should also jump on the bandwagon I think you need a very and and to be honest I, I don't really I try not to get involved in a project unless I see a clear sense of why are we doing this why are we assessing these people what kind of outcome will be of most benefit to the to the organization so I think what one is just that clarity of of focus and, and understanding of how is this going to help us? How is it going to make a, make a difference compared to what we're currently doing? Yeah. I think another one is um, content is, is important. I think cases should be inherently interesting to the people who are going through this process. We're, we're basically, we, we usually have maybe a, 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 at maximum a one-day window of opportunity to see these people in operation. And, and realistically, you're going to be able to maybe use between four to six different tools within that, that time frame. So we got to think very carefully about what do we want to know about these people and what kind of uh, instruments or simulations or, or psychometrics or role plays, what would actually give us some useful insight? But I think it, it also should be something that engages the participants. If they feel like they're going through an examination, they're not particularly engaged. And, and you really want to create a, a situation 
where we get to see these people at their best. So, right. so you know, we, we, we throw them something which is a challenge, but it's a platform for them to show us what they're capable of. Mm. So the content, the quality of the assessors needs to be good. You can have, you know, a, a good reason. You can have good content, but if you have poor, poor assessors who don't really have good insights or judgment or, or even consistency across uh, assessors that that can also let the, the, the process down. So maybe to me, those are probably the three most critical components. So so let me let me go into one of them, uh, Richard, because uh, and and which is you know how do you engage people? Because uh, you know given given the current times and, and and you know maybe in the last few years actually, you know the whole assessment center or development center process is going more and more virtual. In fact, yes. most companies are now preferring to do it virtually rather than doing it physically, particularly, of course, given the COVID times, but more important, in general, it's cheaper to do, it's better to do, more flexibility, etc. So are there, are there things from an engagement point of which we, you see uh, are different in a virtual setup as against a physical setup and what would those be then? Um, I suppose if anything, you, you maybe need to put more thought into engagement because you're not there in the same room. You know, there is some, um, you know, I, I suppose one of the best things about a, a physical development center was simply the fact that you were bringing people together and there was the interaction, you know, the sort of natural free flowing interaction part of it. I think if it's, uh, if you're doing it online, I think if, if anything that suggests to me that the, content needs to be even more clearly, clearly chosen. Um, you know, and just as an example, you know, if you, if you want to see people in a group discussion mm -hmm. format, so, you know, maybe five or six people as part of a, an online discussion for, yeah. format with assessors watching, you could have them talking about almost anything really to mm -hmm. for the purpose, purposes of assessing various competencies. But it's much more useful, you know, if we, if we can actually take the time to find out what are some of the key hot topics mm. in this industry that guys at this level would be thinking about and, and, and you know, talking about naturally, if you could pick up those kind of topics and use that as the context of your, your group discussion, then they're automatically, you know, they, they come with real life opinions, they've thought about this before, they've discussed this before, and you just get a much more, uh, I think, I think a richer experience. You're, you're utilizing the time available for the assessment in, in, in a much more uh, effective manner. Yeah. And, and you know, Richard, you talked about, uh, of course, this, this whole element of, you know, make it, uh, you know, make the content very relevant. And as, as, as you're saying, you know, if people are familiar with it, content, it's their day life. They are they are able to bring themselves in a best manner to the whole assessment process. But uh, or, or or not but but in addition, uh, you know, you talked earlier about maybe using four or five tools or six tools at best. In a in a virtual setup, are there any thoughts on what kind of combination of tools seems to work best, or what kind of tool seems to bring out the best in people? Um. I think there, there are a number of, of factors judging which, which type of tools. I think one is that there are a finite number of tools that you can use anyhow. I mean, unfortunately, there's not some infinite number. I mean, either you see people in a one-to-one -one 
interaction, which could be handling a team member, handling a customer, handling a third party. Right. You may see them in a, in a group of peers uh, to see how they collaborate and, and work together. There will be the business case type scenario in tray or business case where you get to see how they um, kind of uh, their cognitive skills in terms of processing information, reaching business decisions, etc. You can look at their presentation skills and say, okay, now present a case to me using a you know, PPT. Um, there would be the one-on-one -on -one interview and there are psychometrics and, you know, there, there are, I suppose there are other variations around that, but ultimately there are a limited number of, of, of elements uh, anyhow. At this point, unless you want to talk about, you know, sort of gamification of exercises and, and letting the, you know, looking at virtual reality experiences, but that, that's perhaps a slightly different topic. Um, so, so anyhow, I, there are a limited number of, of, of aspects. Yeah. In my experience, they work almost as well, I, you know, having, having seen uh, development centers, both, both virtually and, and online in very similar formats, I honestly think most of the things you would choose to do in a, in, in a physical development center work can be or can be made to work just as well in a, in a, in a virtual. Mm -hmm. I, I feel there's very actually surprisingly little loss of, you know, the kind of touch and feel of the people mm -hmm. and the nuance, et cetera. I suppose one of the aspects is the group discussion is a little tricky because it, in an online group discussion, it tends to be just the person who's talking, who is right. visible. Whereas if you're sitting in a room with these guys, you're getting to see the reactions of the other, the silent members. And, and, and perhaps, you know, there are certain nuances there that are maybe harder to pick up. But, you know, that that's a relatively small loss of data as far as I can see compared to the, the advantages of doing it in, in that way. So, so, so just to sum that up, what you're saying is that, uh, you know, the tools are as much applicable in a virtual setting as in a physical setting. And obviously one has to, you know, plan it and execute it a little bit differently, but they can be, as you rightly pointed out, made to work almost equally effectively and yes. some marginal loss of data possibly in a group kind of a kind of a setting, but yeah. by and large, they are as effective as, 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 as possible. Uh, I, I would agree, yeah, I, I, I think that's true. I, mean, I think the, the planning and the logistics becomes a little more pronounced in, in virtual. I mean, there are certain uh, hiccups that can be solved in a physical center by dashing into someone else's room and saying, you know, I need to swap on, on this. But that's difficult to do in a virtual center. So really, yeah, you know, my, my experience is that the, the planning needs to be of a, of, of a probably a significantly higher level to make it run. You, you've got to anticipate everything up front. But then, of course, once that's done, the you know the the flow of the assessment is actually pretty smooth once that's done. Yeah. So I, I was actually that was that was what I wanted to delve a little bit more into, uh, Richard. That you know what would you prepare or how would you prepare differently for a for a virtual assessment kind of a thing rather than for a for a for a physical one and you know uh, what would you recommend as you know i wouldn't i wouldn't call it best practice but almost saying take care of these one two three four things for sure 
and then you have a better chance of success. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose it's, I mean, it's, it's fundamentally the same kind of planning, you know, wh which assessor needs to see which uh, participant right. in which exercise at, at, yeah. at what time. Of course, now you need to have make sure that everyone has the links. Yeah. Um, one of the things we found useful is that there's a kind of back channel between assessors, you know, just a WhatsApp group or something. We can actually sort of be discussing in real time just to make sure that it, everyone's on the same page about things. Right. Um, yeah, things like, you know, the, the basic briefing to the participants at the start mm -hmm. of the day, again, that's, you know, in some ways, you tend to make that up as you go along in a, in a right. physical center. But again, in a virtual center, you really need to think in advance, okay, what are the key points? Prepare a little sort of presentation, um, right. maybe pre-record some some elements of it. You know, if you're going to have a uh, an input from senior management, to, you know, as a sort of motivational element, all, all of that needs to be gathered up. Front, yeah. obviously. Um, but yeah, really, I mean, it's just, I guess, making sure you know, everyone has the links that if there are two assessors required for an exercise, say for a role play where one is the assessor and one is the role player, whose room, are, you know, whose virtual room are they going to meet in for that? All those linkage linkage elements and the, the, the sort of um, the, the, yeah, the, the online links need to reflect that absolutely. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's a case once you've done it once, you know exactly what's there. You you pretty right. much have a template. Right. So right. although it's more complex, it doesn't need to be more complex every time. I think you you, right. you need a, a fairly foolproof checklist and then you you apply that. Right. right. No, that's a that, that's a good point you make, uh, Richard, because you know, in our experience, I think uh, you know the whole logistics and operational side, if you will, you almost need to have a very thorough checklist and once you have that checklist and you've done it a couple of times then by the third or the fourth time it sort of you know it becomes like an ongoing process and much much yeah. easier to sort of implement uh, even for a very large set of people you know it's not that this thing but but that that checklisting and that uh, you know uh, the operational detail i think makes a lot of difference you know even yeah, even yeah. as rightly pointed out simple things like uh, you know uh, the link going to two people and then you know uh, who should enter first, who should do the briefing, you know, small videos to brief the participants and the assessors and so on and so forth. So I think clearly that whole, uh, you know, logistical preparation, I think becomes a very critical part of, uh, of this thing kind of thing. Are there, so, so, so on a different track, Richard, on the, on the design front, you know, and when I say design, I'm saying the designs of tools itself, you know, uh, or, 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 <clears throat> You know there are obviously some standard things, but would you would you advocate that while implementing a virtual kind of a center, uh, you know, from a design perspective, should we look at making changes? If yes, what what kind of things you've experienced and you'd see? Uh, this seems to work, you know, slightly better than something else. I think for me, this is there are essentially two kinds of clients. There's a client who says, "I want to assess this bunch of managers." And I want you to use generic tools. You know, I want to be able to compare them against, you know, other organizations who've done it. Let let's use good a good set of robust generic tools, and let's see where my guys come out 
not just relative to each other, but relative to some you know wider benchmark. Right. But there, there are always seem to be the, also the clients who say, I want to do something relevant to my industry and, and keep it, keep the context, something that they're familiar with. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're being assessed, um, but I don't want to put them under the additional stress of totally unfamiliar business context, etc. Yeah. So I, th- I think often they have a pretty clear understanding of what what they want to do and how they want to do it. So you know, trying to convince them to do otherwise doesn't seem to get you very far in in, in my experience. Um, so I think you need to keep that flexibility to be able to contextualize sometimes. And I suppose then, you know, that, that's one of the features of the platform is, is the extent to which you can plug in customized or customizable material into it. You know, I think for me, yes, you do want a good set of generic proven tools where you can, you know, you can look at the reliability, the validity, you can collect large norm groups over time, etc. Um, but there will, I think, to satisfy other clients, there does need to be that scope to say we will create uh, tools specific to their to their needs, and usually that means that they want it set within their their particularly particular industry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's that's a good point you make because increasingly we are finding, uh, Richard, that you know while while on the psychometric side there are clients who want to use standard tools because there are you know, global norms and stuff. But yeah. for everything else, whether it is a business case study, an entry, uh, you know, a, a BI or or any kind of group exercise and all, there's a lot of demand now for saying, customize this for me because I have a different context and my business is different and so on and so forth. So, so there is a lot of, you know, sort of uh, tool customization, if you will, which people are looking for. Um, my, my starting point is usually to to take some real life situations that you know. So so if I'm trying to assess a particular group of management for the next level upwards, I, I will go to the next level up and conduct interviews and try to understand what are some of the key challenges or, or moments of truth that that they might face at that level, whether it's, you know, when it comes to leadership, management issues, what are some of the key things? Well, what would be the challenges? What are some of the situations they find themselves in? Customer handling, um, at a strategic level, what is it that people at this level are are primarily focused on? What are the sort of uh, upcoming strategic challenges for people at that level? So you really start off really by gathering data about what's actually happening at that level. And then you sort of fashion, um, you know, you, you fictionalize as much as necessary uh, to protect the innocent and, and you, you create exercises based around that. Right. <clears throat> you know, let, let me move to a couple of, you know, slightly different uh, aspects of, of assessment. And we spoke about this very briefly about the quality of the assessors itself. But you know you've been doing a lot of assessor training in your you know uh, in, in your experience, and what would be useful to to know is that people who do assessments virtually, uh, assessors versus the ones who do it physically, are there are there characteristics you see different? You know, what do you look for? You know, apart from their own assessment experience, what what's what's different? 
Hmm. That's, that's, that's an interesting question. Actually, I personally, I have worked only with assessors who have done this physically and then moved to doing it virtually. So they're, 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 they're literally the same mm-hmm. assessors who are now doing it through a different medium. So that, that, that's perhaps a little tricky for me to, to say. Um, I suspect some of the, the fundamentals still apply. I mean, you want, um, especially if it's in-company people where you have internal assessors, I, I think the most critical thing there is that they should be you know, volunteers, willing volunteers. They should want to be doing this. They should see the value to the organization of taking a day or two out to, to be an assessor and to, you know, to help kind of evaluate next level talent within the organization. So, you know, they have to want to do it. I think if they are experienced managers, if they've done, you know, performance appraisals and given feedback and just managed a team successfully, then, you know, probably they're going to have a set of skills mm-hmm. that you can hone down to uh, specific assessment tasks. I think when when you look at external assessors, then it's 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 a wider bucket. Often they will be people who have uh, come from management roles and and um, you know have have proven themselves in those kind of roles. Of course, it may be people more from a sort of social sciences or psychology background as well, perhaps. But basically, you know an interest in the process and pretty good insights and judgment in, into people. One of the things I do, I, I try to do when we do a assessor training program to bring all the assessors up to speed, we do quite a lot of practical assessments in that. And one of, one of the, the reasons for that is just to, you know, let, let them all watch a sample role play, for example, mm. let them all assess it independently and then present their assessments because you know I, I want to see are there any outliers people who've taken a very different perspective on what they've just seen bearing in mind we've all seen exactly the same thing how did a you know a sample participant handle a, a role play mm-hmm. and really just to synchronize and make sure we're all on the same page you you want to do that in an offline setting before you let let the assessors loose on on real life participants so yeah i mean you you can you know you can make sure you have people with the right sounding you know skills and backgrounds etc but i also want to sort of try them out a little bit in a in an offline setting just to make sure they've really got the grasp of it and 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 they're providing sensible data yeah at at the end of the day and a participant shouldn't you know his his or her judgment shouldn't depend on who happened to be the assessor you know what you really want in an ideal world is is a completely interchangeable group of assessors so whoever was allocated to that particular session having seen what they they've seen they would have reached the same conclusions of course that's maybe idealistic because Mm -hmm. people assessing other people is, is is a complex situation but as much as possible you're you're trying to create a sort of interchangeability uh between the assessors that's a that's a that's an important point because you know for example uh, you know with a lot of the virtual assessments we are now doing uh, we are also realizing that if the if the quality of the assessors is 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 very good and they are you know irrespective of 
uh, as you said, the interchangeability is easy and you know, irrespective of who the assessor is, the quality is equally good. Then actually it allows us to get in a very wide set of assessors from you know, different geographies, uh, people yeah. from, you know, who have got a lot of experience and, you know, who've got depth in assessments and not limit yourself by, by geography. And that's one of the big advantages mm. we are finding in virtual assessments that the quality of the assessors actually, actually you can bump up significantly, which sometimes in physical becomes constrained because of, you know, reasons of logistics and travel and location and so on and so yeah. forth. And, 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 yeah. and that itself takes the, takes the quality of the overall AC or the DC you know, significantly higher actually, you know, and that's been one of our experiences over the last few years, really, you know. Uh, yeah, I think I hadn't really thought of that, but yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very strong selling point for doing it virtually, that you have this array of people sit, sitting in many different places who, who can be, you know, part of that, part of that process. Yeah, that, 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 that's a very good point. Yeah, I, I think, so, so Richard, on a, on, a, on a related point and, you know, uh, from a, from a, preparation point of view and you know we spoke earlier about what could be possible uh, let's say failure points or, or drawbacks uh, in in you know when, when you're doing uh, acdc and you know one of the things we spoke about was you know this whole area of uh, you know calibration and, mm. uh, and you know how do you make sure then that you take it to the post assessment phase which is the feedback and you know ensuring that that process goes off well as well any tips or tricks there, which, which in your experience would help people who are involved in this sort of work? The, the calibration part, yeah, basically. Both the calibration and the feedback, both, both separately. Yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, if, if you have a strong set of assessors and they've, they've worked together, one, one of the things I try to make sure is that, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, times during the assessment period when you have multiple assessors working together. So whether it's a role player and an assessor as, as part of a role play, or it's multiple assessors watching a, a group discussion, I, I try to make sure that there's a mini sort of integration that happens immediately right. after that exercise. So those two assessors have already discussed and debated and sort of come to pretty much an agreed evaluation at that point. So what happens then typically on, on day two, if you have a, a combined sort of calibration um, integration session, a lot of the, a lot of it's already based on a consensus viewpoint, even though it's just, just two assessors. And I, I find that useful. So you, you tend to get less of these kind of, you know, very, very, very sort of strident debates about no, that's not possible. He was great in this exercise. How can you judge him like this in, in, in a different exercise? You, you tend to steer around that because you already have multiple viewpoints have, have been built into it. And, you know, just another nuance, as much as possible, where, where two assessors are present, I, I like to try and make sure that, you know, if, if, if possible, it's, it's people coming from two rather different backgrounds, whether right. it's one internal and one external, hmm. one from a hardcore management background, one from you know more of a sort of psychology, occupational right. uh, psychology background. So you've, you've you've got a sort of breadth of perspectives hmm. which have already been resolved to get to that original result. So when I find that when you do that, the integration session becomes more about just listening to a kind of overview of 
Mm. What happened in each case, trying to pull it all together. Really, we're trying to, you know, we're saying what, what might be the top feedback messages we want to give to this person, whether it's, you know, the, the, the four things that impressed us the most and, and four things that we felt could still be room for, for development. What is the overall profile that, you know, that we, we want as an assessor team to agree on for, for this particular candidate? Are we seeing, uh, you know, does that make sense in terms of our understanding of the, the ranking of the relative qualities of the various participants we've seen? So, you know, because I think those, those are more valuable areas on which to spend time in the calibration session rather than sort of getting into confrontations about, I thought he was great, I thought he was yeah. terrible, that, that sort of thing. So I try to, I just try to sort of, Mm. create the, the the logistics in such a way that the that calibration session is is as valuable as possible yeah, yeah. no that's that that that's great insight richard you know and, and those specific questions which you pointed out in terms of you know uh, agreement between the assessors in terms of you know as, as part of the integration process so you know that brings me to the last sort of in a way uh, question for the podcast which is that you know, post the post the uh, the the DC or the AC, and 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 you know, once you've done it, and then you're going into the feedback part. Uh, what would be some of the do's and don'ts from an implementation point of view, as far as uh, you know, giving the final report and the feedback to the individual SSE is concerned? Yeah, yeah. I um, I mean, my I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying there's only one way to do it, but but I try to make it as conversational uh, process as as possible and and i tried to i, I try to be as i wouldn't say non-judgmental but I, I i try to make sure that what i'm judging is specific behaviors that were demonstrated you know during the assessment i'm not judging their managerial competence or anything you know anything generic and we really the discussion is about look you know this was the context we we put you in a situation where you had to negotiate with an unhappy customer and you know this, this was the context let me share with you what the assessors captured how you know how you approached it then you know turned into a sort of question question and answer i mean I, you know, in reflection, do you think that was the best way to do it? Do you think you could have perhaps approached it slightly differently? Let me share with you what the assessors felt and what they felt might have been more effective. You know, given that you approached it in a certain way, this was perhaps the upside of that, but these were some of the downsides that, that resulted from that. So we try to keep it specific about that particular exercise case by case. The more you can sort of pull it together and make connections and, and, and help the, the participant to sort of understand at, at the bigger picture level that, you know, we saw certain commonalities between the way you handled a customer facing situation and the way you handled a team member mm -hmm. situation, you know, and then so sometimes they, they really, they, they, they really get sort of some, some, you know, pretty intense revelations during, during that mm -hmm. process. So I think you're, always remember you're trying to add value. You, you, you want to sort of put yourself in, in their shoes, but you, you want to give them the benefit. You know, I'll say, look, this, this, is, this is not me giving you feedback. I'm, I'm a spokesperson here and I'm sharing with you what 
you know, a combined panel of yeah. fairly experienced, you know, both your, you know, maybe some of your senior management plus mm -hmm. some very experienced external assessors. These were the observations they made. And, and, and you know, we're hoping that this can be useful to you and that, uh, you know, by, by receiving this at this point in your career, it can help you to sort of course correct and mm -hmm. understand what's working and what isn't. So, you know, I try to um, put it across rather than just saying, you know, I'm the expert, sit there and listen. This is what we, this is how we rated you. That, that, that obviously creates, you know, it's almost bound to create some resistance. Right. So, you know, keep it helpful, keep it objective. And I, and I think this is where good data is important because mm -hmm. I, I want to be able to say with them, look, uh, remember that case, you know, the customer handling case, it might've been two weeks ago, three weeks ago at this point, but I want to have very good data observations, behavioral indicators. This is what the, uh, I, 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 to be, you know, to give the feedback, I need to have high confidence that those are the points, those are the correct points that, that were captured. Because it can, you know, it's very awkward if you say, of course, in, you know, in, in the role play, you did ABC and the, the participant says, no, I didn't, I did something completely different. Yeah. Then it becomes, he said, she said kind of thing. So you need to make sure you've really captured what transpired during that that exercise. And, and then, you know, th then they sit up and listen. They say, yes, that that's correct. That's what I did. Now, Let's talk about the, the pros and cons of approaching it in that way. Do you think you might have approached it you know, slightly, slightly differently? So, um, yeah, I keep it, you know, conversational and, and, and helpful and talking about specifics rather than sort of judging them as a, as a manager or, or, or you know, as, as an employee. No, thanks, uh, Richard. That, that, that's useful. So... One last, uh, you know, question before we, uh, you know, uh, close off this podcast. So, uh, anything else which you think at a high level, from a, you know, from a from a practical and implementation point of view, anything we've left out in this conversation which you'd like to, uh, you know, throw a light on and say this is one more thing which we must keep in mind while implementing a AC or DC. Hmm. I guess I mean one issue that customers often have is, you know, they, they, they have this unreasonable concern that, you, you know, if someone goes through this process a second time, will they have some great ad advantage, you know, and that it'll be, it'll be too easy because they, they've already done it. Yeah. Um, my experience would suggest that, that that's not the case at all. I've done centers where we have, you know, at intervals, put participants through exactly the same process, even the same exercises on multiple occasions. And, you know, what, where, where you might expect people to do remarkably better the second time around, they generally don't. And, and I think it comes down to the fact that either you have the required skill sets or, or you don't. You know, it's very hard to, even if I know exactly what to expect in a group discussion exercise, for example, it doesn't mean I'm going to do remark, you know, do especially well. It's because, it, you know, a I have to. It's a dynamic situation. I don't know exactly what the other guys are going to do, uh, and I if I don't have those skills in the first place, it's very hard to fake it. You know, if it was that easy to fake competence, we'd all be uh, great, great at everything. So, you know, I think there are there's a case to be made in, in, in that case for standardized exercises and, and for collecting norms and data sets and really looking at people long-term. Um, 
But unfortunately, you cannot convince everybody of that. Sometimes they insist, no, every year we need a different variation of the, the same cases. And again, you know, you can debate and argue and present the merits, but at the end of the day, I suppose the customer is the customer and you, you, you want to try and uh, make, them, make them happy. Absolutely. Sometimes it is necessary to uh, create variations every, every time around. No, so 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 great point, uh, Richard, and and thank you very much uh, for this conversation. I'm sure our listeners would have, you know, both enjoyed the conversation, but more important, taken back some, you know, key points uh, of learning as far as you know implementing uh, assessment centers and development centers is concerned. So thank you, Richard, and I look forward to further conversations in due course. Thank Thanks, Mo. Pleasure, pleasure talking to you.